Welcome to episode number 378 of Treks in Sci-Fi for April 1st, 2012. Welcome to the podcast Treks in Sci-Fi, your weekly dose of freaky goodness. With Rico Dusty and other special guests. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise, Enterprise, Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Make it so. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Rick Moyer, and I am uh, jumping in the guest host seat for Rico Dosti today and really going to enjoy doing this program because I get to talk about all sorts of really cool things. So welcome. I hope everybody's having a great week. We are going to talk today about a couple of different things. My wife, Amy, and daughter, Catherine, are going to join me to discuss the Hunger Games books and the movie that we recently saw at the theater. Wow, it's pretty cool. Came out last weekend, and I don't know if you've had a chance to go see it yet or not, but we're going to talk about it. It's pretty much spoiler-free, but uh, I think you'll get a lot out of out of what the girls had to say about it. And, uh, of course, I give my comments on it as well. Then I know that Rico's going to be talking about it next week, so I'm really curious what he thought about the movie. So I'm looking forward to that, Rico, and what you thought about the Hunger Games, but uh, we will be talking about it today on Treks and Sci-Fi. Plus, this week, um, we are also going to have a little bit of news from the Star Trek movie front, what's going on with the new movie that's being made and filmed at this moment. We'll be talking about a little bit of news from that, um, and then also, we're going to jump into today's big subject, which is uh, from my good buddy Sebastian Pruth over at... um, Proof, Proof, if I say his name right, over at Continuing Mission. Uh, you've heard his Star Trek audio series, I'm sure, or he's been interviewed here by Rico on, on Treks and Sci-Fi before. Great guy, a lot of fun. Well, anyway, he let me read a script that he got his hands on. Uh, well, actually, it was an outline of a script. It really wasn't the full script, but it was an, an outline on a script that would have been in Season 5 of Enterprise. So I thought it would be really, really interesting to read that to you, I found it fascinating and thought, oh my gosh, I wish they would have made this. It would would have been such an amazing episode. So uh, hopefully you'll really enjoy that as I read you some notes from the writers and uh, talk about how the, the casting directors and what they uh, did to get some different characters for that. And of course, it never came to be, but uh, it would have been cool. So we can talk about that as well. Should be a lot of fun. I hope everybody sticks around for this episode of Treks in Sci-Fi. Hello, everyone. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join. Die. Join. Die. The Upper Memory Block Podcast. Building. Building. 
this show is going to be about video games. What I want to do, and where the bulk of my gaming experience rests, is in the past. Unable to comply. Loading in progress. Unit ready. I want to talk about games primarily, let's say, in the uh, the DOS and pre-Windows XP uh, era of gaming. I don't have to prove anything to you. Very demanding for one in your tenuous position. But I can respect your needs. The unity will bring about the master race. New construction options. I think it's a lot of fun and really cool to talk about the history of technology and how that history has shaped culture and specific subcultures like the gamer culture, you know, just culture in general over time. One able to survive, or even in the wasteland. I am so jazzed about jazzed. Is that a word we use anymore? Uh, anyway, I'm excited about this podcast that you just heard about. That's Billy Bob four seven six from the forums. By the way, the Treks and Sci Fi forums are really a lot of fun. Really great people there. Some fun folks to talk to. Uh, we share a lot in common, like our love for sci fi and different uh, collectibles and you name it. We talk about it TV and movies and just about anything. Music. We talk about it over at the forums at treksandsci-fi.com. Click on the forum button. Join up. Come be part of us. Well, Billy Bob 476 a.k.a. Joe, is now doing his own podcast that you just heard about. The very first episode is out called Sam and Max Hit the Road. If you recall, that was a really cool game by LucasArts back in the day, and it is really a great episode. I've listened to it. It's wonderful, and I'm really looking forward to what Joe's going to be doing uh, in the upcoming months. just goes right back to my my days of playing video games when... When the computers were slow and goofy and, and the the graphics were awful, and it's just a lot of fun. But there really was some really cool games. My favorite, of course, being Space Quest. We just had such a great time with that. We'd go over to a friend's house, and uh, we would play every Sunday afternoon. We would we would try and figure it out. And we didn't use cheats. You know, that then was – we didn't have the internet to go get on and, and find all the cheats for it. We had to figure it out. They had a hotline you could call, but it cost like – Three ninety nine a minute or something like that. So we didn't call in. We actually used our brains and would come up with this collective idea. Well, type this or type that. And then, of course, something would happen on the screen. We'd laugh so hard. I'll never forget playing um, one of the games. Oh, it was the first Space Quest, I think, or maybe it was two, Space Quest 2, where uh, we got through almost the entire game and then realized something we did way back in the game caused us to die later on. So we had to go all the way back and start over at that point. Very funny stuff. Great things. And Joe does a wonderful job of taking us back to those moments and showing us the plot of the game. And I really enjoyed the section where he talks about how the games were developed and who came up with the ideas and the, who, the, who voiced them and all that different kind of stuff. If you're like me at all and you like those old video games, you will love listening to the Upper Memory Block podcast. So check it out. It's all up and going at umbcast.com. Dot com. Thanks, Joe, for doing that. Man, it's so cool to see all these people from the Treks and Sci-Fi forums doing podcasts that rock.
So, of course, the big deal right now is um, The Hunger Games. It's the the book series that they made into a movie. And with me, I happen to have Amy and Catherine, my wife and my daughter. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hello. I also have Jade, the Wonder Dog. She didn't go see the movie, though. Well, she wanted to. I, I have some news for you. Mm-hmm. You know how Catherine read these books first, and then she asked me to read them. Uh-huh. Well, my mom and I share a Kindle account, oh, and so does Catherine. Now. So now my 82-year-old <laughs> mother was 49% through with book three. Oh, seriously? <laughs> seriously. When I saw her yesterday, and I would bet by the time she goes to bed tonight, she, she will probably be done with that book three of Hunger Games. That know. is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Okay, so um, without doing any spoilers here... Let's talk a little bit. You you guys read all three books, right? Yep. Yes, indeed. And Catherine, from a young person's perspective, what do you think about it? Was there is, is there too much violence in it, or what did you think of the the book series? I personally just I don't know. I don't really notice the violence as much as all these people, you know, are saying how how gory and stuff it is. And I, when I read the books, I didn't notice the violence as much as you would think. So okay, so it just it didn't stick out to you then as as abnormal or anything. Yeah, even though that's how they ex- lots of time that's how people explain it is about how you know it's a fight till the death kind of thing. Right. But it that's not the main the main. Well, what what thing. do you feel was the main thing that kept you as a young person interested in the book? Well, I think Katniss, the main character, was a very strong. Female. Um, female. Not just the fact that she's a female, but um, I don't know, just the way that the author wrote it also is just very intriguing, and mm-hmm. um, you could really tell she was trying to get a point across okay. that, yeah. All right. What about you, Aim? What did you like the most about the books? Um, I think it had the books had a lot of character qualities that you could admire even though the main character was obviously frail and human to a certain degree she had a strength in her and the desire to be self-sacrificing and you know kind of kind of the concept of greater love has no one than this and then to lay down their life for their friend or their family uh, and so the theme of sacrifice and yeah redemption and stuff like that was there definitely lots of sacrifice and not in just like oh i'm going to be a martyr kind not of useless way. right not yeah. a useless kind of thing um she but was definitely yeah, yeah but she would definitely do anything for her family to keep them alive and to keep them fed and mm-hmm. okay. you know all right so you read the book series now mm-hmm. you went to the movie and the lights went down and up came the movie what are your thoughts what's your what were your first thoughts as the movie started rolling well i personally really i really liked liked it but um, they did take out a lot of stuff well, from how the books, gonna... but you can't put everything in. Yeah, the movie would have been long. six yeah. or seven hours. Um, but I liked what they did put in it a lot. Okay, and what and... about you, Ames? You know, the the same. I I always think the books are generally better because you're using your own imagination and Definitely. and there's more details. Mm-hmm. So 
You, you can know, put if, your own stuff in there too. If I had to choose one mm. over the other, I yeah. would take the books. But the movie was really well done. Yeah. And For people who don't really like to read that. And much one thing, you know. one thing I have to say: there's been some complaints about the violence in the movie, but the direction, the art direction that they did in it, really kept it at a PG level. Because mm-hmm. when there was really, you know, some violent scenes, they they did a lot of like shaky cameras and yeah. moving yeah. things around so that like Batman Begins, yeah. So it kept it at a PG. It could have definitely been, been rated R. Been yeah. rated R. <laughs> sure. You know, if, if they had like had like big yeah, shots. Of if they all, would yeah. have, you know, pulled back and you would have seen all the blood mm-hmm. and right. everything. And and one thing I have to say is though, even though there is violence in the movie and in the books. It is not gratuitous violence. You aren't. They aren't being violent because hey, this is fun. Uh-uh. Right. It. It's a matter of they've been placed in an impossible situation. And they're showing you how horrible. And they're showing it, it that is. it's. Yeah. It's. It's unjust. It's right. not. It's not a cool thing. And I think that. I, I would recommend it for anyone, you know, junior high age and older. It might be a, still a little bit yeah, too graphic too much for, for kids, small yeah. children. But I think definitely junior high and high school kids and adults would like the movie. And, and I would encourage if you're a reader, read the books because they are mm-hmm. really good. All right. Well, I got to go see the movie, and I had not read anything about the books. I had no idea what they were about, other than you trying to explain them to me one time, and I wasn't listening. <laughs> so I, I went to the movie was. with my son, Andrew, uh-huh. or our son, Andrew. I guess he's our son, isn't he? Yes, And I uh, went to the movies with him, and we sat down and watched the movie. And I have to say that from the very beginning, I just I was hooked. It, it, it never slowed down for me. It never got boring. I never wondered what, huh? It yeah. um, they did a good job, mm-hmm. and it actually interested me. If I had more time, I think I'm going to read the books now too because I don't want to wait for the next movie. I still think you should read the first book as well. Yeah, well, we'll see. Just yeah. so that you know. yeah, because I think that you downloaded my Kindle um, books onto your iPad. Cause yes, I did, and so you so you I have can them all. Read them. But yeah, I would actually start with the first book because <coughs> they you know why so I liked it. They left out a lot of. You know why stuff. I liked it? What? Because it was a combination between an action adventure, like um, um, hunt the other person kind of um, <laughs> plot, mm-hmm. plus like, like Predator, or right, right, right. Those Pl- plus, it had. The science fiction element in it with the cool technology that the folks had, yeah, and the and then the weirdness of just it was just odd and different and and I liked all the technology and the different things the the different angles, but I think more of a, more than all of that, I I thought it was a really interesting parallel of a social commentary on our society, and uh, the haves and the have-nots, oh, and definitely. it was just really really poignant. I thought. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely a mega theme of the books um, where it, it talks about kind of greed and extravagance um, versus, you know, the 98% is sure. in our vocabulary. Okay, well, yeah. one to five stars, one being the least, five being the most. Um, how do you rate it, Amy? The movie or the books? I said Amy. 
I would give the movie. it. I would give both the movie and the books probably a oh. four point five. Okay, how about you, Catherine? I would say the movie a four and the book a four point nine. <laughs> okay, all right. And to yeah. me, um, I would definitely give the the movie a four, a solid four, maybe even a little bit more than that. So there you go. That's our review of the Hunger Games, the books and the movie. And uh, now we'll just get on with the show. Thanks, ladies, for joining me. That was fun. You're welcome. All right. See you later. Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, may the odds be in your favor. No. What may the happen? odds ever be in your favor. May the odds ever be in your favor. Something like that. co-hosts of Taken With You, a podcast that's like a reality TV show, but it's not. Come get the juicy details of our life here at the Moyer household, including geeky technology updates, movie and TV reviews, and a discussion on a life situation where you get to share on Facebook and Twitter through the impromptu question of the week. Plus cool music and our spiritual perspective. So after you're done listening to Rico here at Treks in Sci-Fi, which, by the way, is an awesome podcast, two thumbs up from us, you can join us at TakeHimWithYou.com and listen to our podcast. Join us for the Take Him With You podcast, your weekly dose of reality in a good way. Hopefully a good way. Yeah. That's, <laughs> okay. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> I hope everybody is enjoying the program so far. Treks in Sci-Fi, what a cool podcast this is. I just love listening lately. It has been so fun not only to hear some classic episodes done by Rico, the man himself, but also all the great guest spots that we've had lately. Just been fantastic information, really educational, and a lot of fun. So keep it up, everybody. What a great community and what a great podcast. Okay, I was surfing the web this morning and found some breaking news, and it's a little bit disappointing. It's rumored that J.J. Abrams has been very frustrated this week with Chris Pine's performance on the new Star Trek movie, so much so that it may actually jeopardize the release date of the new Star Trek film or could even stop it from being made. Sources close to the production say that there was a lot of yelling, even a fistfight broke out on the set this last week, so we might not actually get to see the film that we've been waiting anxiously for. And I just can't even believe it. I mean, you would think in nowadays that, that they, with all the money and everything they're being paid, that they'd behave themselves. But I just, I didn't really think that Chris Pine was really a troublemaker and stuff. So that was really, really an interesting thing. And I, I'm just really disappointed. I'm hoping it's not actually going to stop the production from being made. I think that would be a travesty. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this this new Star Trek movie. Okay, April Fools. <laughs> 
sorry. I had to do it, you know. I had to get that in there. <laughs> no, it's there's nothing like that that actually happened. That was the scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. Theirs was a slave ship carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. And in the last five years, the newcomers have become the latest addition to the population of Los Angeles. Alienation, the newcomers podcast, is a fan cast devoted to the groundbreaking but short-lived TV series Alienation. This series tackles social issues like racism, bigotry, and intolerance with an alien twist. Each month, we will bring you a podcast dedicated to a single episode. The host will give you their thoughts on the episode, as well as some little-known behind-the-scenes information. So please subscribe to Alienation, the newcomer's podcast on iTunes, or visit our website at alienationpodcast.com. Yeah, Kenny and his brother have just a really good rapport going on the program, so it's a lot of fun to listen to that. Really interesting to to see all the different things I was thinking back then when I watched Alien Nation and, and the series and all that stuff. So they talk all about it. It's really cool. Well, it's time to jump into our subject, the big subject of the day, and that is um, I got my hands on a really cool thing that I know you're going to love. Uh, my friend Sebastian Pruth, the friend of Treks and Sci-Fi, and does the continuing mission and everything, um, helped me get my hands on a outline for a script for an episode of Star Trek Enterprise that never was because it got canceled. And it is fascinating. It's really cool. One of the writers is Manny Cotto, who we, you know I've come to love and enjoy because he really made Enterprise an amazing thing. He was a fanboy himself, and so... He brought a bunch of the great elements of all the Star Trek stuff that we love and enjoy into Enterprise, and no exception in this particular outline of a script that they were going to do. So um, I thought I would start out by playing a song that I did for um, a, an ep- a, a series that never got done as far as an audio series, and it w- it's the intro to a Star Trek audio series that I did that never got used. I thought that'd be appropriate for an episode that never got done. This is Rick Moyer, and I'm so excited that you have joined me today for Treks and Sci-Fi. I want to talk about a very, very interesting thing that, as a Star Trek fan, is was really a privilege to be able to get to read, and I I'm so excited about being able to present it to you. Uh, As many of you know, uh, Sebastian Pruth has been on the program before with Rico, and he is the producer of the Continuing Mission 
which is just a fantastic audio series um, done about Star Trek. Just did a bang-up job on it. Just fantastic stuff. Anyway, him and I are friends, and we talk on Facebook uh, quite a bit here and there. I mean, we go for a stretcher once in a while, but it's always fun to talk and chat on Skype and also on on Facebook. And uh, a while back, he let me read something that I was just... I just loved it, and I had to share it with you, my fellow Treks and Sci-Fi listeners. And that is, he had an outline for a script that was going to be used, or they were going to try to use it, on Enterprise. Would have been, well, I'll explain it all. I've, I've, I've got the whole thing here, so I'm going to go through the different things about it, uh, the plot of the, the show, who the writers were, uh, some of the casting direction that they were headed on and everything, and even the title of the episode. Uh, and what it would have been. The, now, and the reason this really comes up to my mind to do is because the plot was very Hunger Games. You know, after going to see Hunger Games, that, the plot of Hunger Games really isn't so new. I mean, if you think about it, Star Trek has used the plot several times, like when Kirk fought the Gorn, and, you know, there's been lots of different times when, you know, fight to the death type of thing. Well, in this particular situation, it is, it's a similar plot of course, with different characters and, and a different twist to it all, because that's just how Star Trek is. So, without um, any ado, then, I think we're going to jump right into it. This would have been a fanboy's dream episode, and really would have been a huge hit with Star Trek fans, and it's really too bad that Enterprise got canceled early. It really should have gone on. It was a great series. The acting was wonderful. The special effects were great. The sets were awesome. The, the, the shows were good and very solid, but it just didn't have the listenership, apparently because of Star Trek burnout. I don't know. I've never burned out from Star Trek, but that's me. I'm an uber fan, and you know I've seen every single episode of every single series a million times. And yeah, that's just how it is. So I have to, I have to do that. So the title of this episode would have been Cue the Death, like To the Death, of course, but it was Cue the Death. The original title was Sink or Swim. And it would have been, are you ready for this, the 99th and 100th show of, of Enterprise. And that was what, be the reason it was such a special episode is because they wanted the 100th episode of Enterprise to be just this really amazing show. It would have been the fourth season closer and the fifth season opener. So there was a cliffhanger in it, of course. And it would have been um, really amazing because they, they got up to 98 episodes before the plug was pulled on Enterprise. And and they, you know, I think it would have been great if they could have, maybe they could have just gone out with this because what they went out with was just not worth it. I didn't like the last, epi- the, the series finale of, of Star Trek Enterprise. This, however, would have been awesome. They should have just done this one last couple of episodes and then called her quits if they were really going to have to cancel it. And you'll understand why when I read to you what was planned. Um, They pitched this story early during season four for production at the end of that season. And in season five, it would have been the opener. But after budget concerns and the whole scope of actor coordination, it seemed that it was very daunting if they were going to be able to do it. They had to get an extra budget. They were looking for more money for it because of the actors that they had to bring in. Um, of course, we all know what happened. You know, they found out pretty quickly. And well, I don't know. I don't remember when they found out in season four that that season five wasn't going to happen. But I do remember reading about it and listening and hearing all the 
you know, the, it was very disappointing. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> the main writer was actually going to be our resident Trek expert, Manny, Co- is it Cotto? Manny Cotto? Um, with co-writers DC Fontana, who we know from the original series, and she also uh, was the one that did all, the whole backstory to Jaxia Dax on DS9. And I didn't know that before I was doing my research here, but uh, she has her hand in Star Trek. Well, her whole, she's immersed herself in Star Trek, and that would have been great. And then um, another writer, there was three of them, uh, was Margaret Armand, who actually wrote the episode Gamesters of Trixalian. Is that how you Triskalian? Um, one of the original episodes of Star Trek. Now, what I have here isn't complete because the script was never finished for obvious reasons. They did start on it. They had an outline, and they knew where they were headed. Uh, It's simply an outline, though. So there's a few lines of dialogue that they threw in there. You know, I guess that's how they do it when they're working on the on the outline of the script and everything. So you'll, we'll hear some, you know, things that they might have done. I, you know, nothing's for sure on this because it never got done. So we'll, we'll never really know um, what it would have ended up to be like, but I'm sure after you hear this, you're going to go, man, I wish they would have done this one. Cause I'm telling you, I just, okay. almost peed my pants when I read it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. But no, so, like I say, the plot is uh, the basic plot is very Hunger Games ish in its in its thing out, and I'm what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to read the the synopsis of the episode, and then we'll jump into the actors and what they thought about it because they were privy to it. And I'm really surprised we never heard anything from them about it. But uh, there might have been. I don't know if there's contracts or contractual agreements about it. I don't know if they. I don't know how that all works, but uh, we will talk about the the different people that were involved in it and the casting directors and who they got for what parts or were trying to get for what parts. So I think that will be um, pretty fascinating. Okay, so why don't we jump into it then? This would have been um, episode uh, 99 and 100, but we'll start with episode 99, uh, Cue the Death, part one. Okay, our opener is Archer and crew are on a mission to meet with the Ambassador Tromper from Prela 1, a planet near the Andorian border. The Ambassador's ship docks with Enterprise, and when the cloaked figure emerges, he comes up on the metal stairs and slowly looks from side to side. We hear a sarcastic voice come out that we all recognize, and the voice says, So, this is where it all started. Yep, it's Q, and then cut to the opener. So that's the very first thing that we see. And of course, uh, you can just hear John Delancey doing doing his part, can't you? <laughs> and uh, that gets us right into the whole thing. And and uh, here's scene number one. Archer is baffled by the sarcastic tone of the visitor and questions him, only to have a tirade of insults poured upon him by Q who eventually makes some sort of comment on the Enterprise and the fact that he likes John Luke's version better. (laughs) So stuffy and restricting here. Looks like a submarine. Of course, we know that's a nod to the art director on Enterprise. Uh, An attempt is made to restrain Q, at which point Malcolm and his security crew disappear in a flash of light, leaving Archer, T'Pol, and Tucker standing in the shuttle bay with Q. Of course, Archer is alarmed to say the least, and questions the whereabouts of his security team. 
Q brushes him off and says not to worry. They're probably off saving a damsel in distress. Archer asks what Q wants after T'Pol tells him, or tells him that her tricorder reads nothing, that he's either a hologram or a hallucination. Q laughs and assures them he is not, and that after one of Kathy's, as he calls her, moral lectures, that he was curious to see where it all started. On his way back through time, he did some checking and found some noteworthy comparisons between several different crews. Since most of his experiences with people that claim to have evolved over the years into a society of humans that are explorers and scientists, he wanted to see where that all came from. After a few verbal volleys, Archer proclaims that Q is pretty self-righteous and that he has no right to play games with his crew. Well, that does it, and Q takes the challenge. A blinding light flashes, and we hear the echoing voice of Q saying, If it's games you want, then games it shall be. The screen goes black. And that's the end of scene one. Okay, season two. Uh, The second scene opens with a close-up of a TNG communicator badge on a command shirt. Okay, at this point, I'm starting to go, what, what? I'm very excited. The camera spins upwards with white light all around to reveal Jean-Luc Picard lying in a field. As the camera goes wider, we see Riker, Geordi, and Data lying on the ground looking up as well, like puzzle pieces strewn on a table. We hear birds chirping and wind blowing and the sunshine and the blue sky become clearer. The camera cuts to an opposite angle, looking at the sky, where a huge face of Q appears. And he exclaims, Oh, you're all so proud of your heritage, your evolution of humanity. I thought I would see how you would interact with your fellow adventurers. I've brought together a group from each crew I've deemed worthy for a little sporting event I like to call To the Death. You have 24 hours. 24 of your hours to be the last crew standing. Along the way, there will be tests and obstacles that, if you are so evolved, should be easy to accomplish. But here is the clincher. If your crew is not victorious, then neither will it be where you came from. Every last one of your associates back on your ship will be annihilated. You may just alter all of your ancestors in time as you know it. I won't leave you alone, though. So don't worry. I have friends to watch over you. Here's where Q talks about a game master and an overseer of the strategy and combat rules that will be established by these particular things or these particular characters that he has planned for them. And then he says, so chin up. Let's see how evolved you really are and let the games begin. As Q is talking, we are seeing different cuts to different crews on various terrains. Here's where we actually get to know which people are going to be in this particular story. Um, from a picture of Cisco and Kira brushing off their uniforms to Janeway squinting up at the sky on a cliff. The final shot we see is a close-up of an old-style phaser on the hip of a Starfleet officer, the kind they used in the movies. So the camera pans back. And all of a sudden it reveals Kirk standing next to Chekhov and Sulu by a body of water. He's got his communicator in his hand, Kirk does, and he says, Kirk to Enterprise, come in Enterprise, Spock, are you there? And then it fades to black. 
people. Now you can tell um, that this is going to be very interesting. And man, I'll tell you what, I just about freaked out. Finally, finally getting Shatner in in part of the series. You know, that was pretty cool in a cool way too, uh, especially accounting for, you know, how old they are and everything. So that was kind of cool. Okay, so scene three. Scene three opens with Data holding a small device in his hand um, with a set of blips on the screen. He looks at Riker and proclaims, Commander, this appeared in my hands moments ago. I can only assume that it marks where our opponents are. Picard quickly corrects Data by telling him that they are not our opponents and that they will not be participating in this ridiculous game. Those are Starfleet officers, Mr. Data. We will work together to get out of this. Actually, Captain, states Data, the Federation didn't exist during the time of some of these crews, and furthermore, Data, says Picard, that's enough. Riker asks Geordi if there's any way to communicate with the other teams so that they can try and formulate a plan. Geordi says he's not sure, but if they can modify the device, they might be able to communicate it with it somehow. The camera pans down again on the device, only to have the blips turn a different color. And when it pans out again, we are with Cisco. Quark is making a whining sound as Kira rolls her eyes. O'Brien shakes his head, and he takes the, the device and studies it. He looks up to see another crew heading towards them. At first, they are glad to see them coming, but suddenly, Cisco's demeanor changes, as does Kira and Cisco's uh, motions for them to all get down. From the ridge above both crews, the camera pans up and over to reveal Kirk and his guys crouched down behind a boulder with large stones piled up next to them. There's a flash of light, and a figure appears in front of Cisco and his team. A man dressed in fancy colonial clothing, his hat sporting a feather, and holding a sword with two musket pistols stuffed in his belt. He winks at Cisco and says in an English accent, My good man, don't think that you will become allies with your kin. This is a game of strategy. Kirk peers over the boulder with a look of amazement on his face. Under his breath, he whispers, Trelane. Trelane motions towards the DS9 crew, and then somehow... The closer the other crews come to them, the more their reaction is to attack and fight them. It doesn't seem that they can resist the feelings of aggression. The other crew making their way to Cisco is Captain Archer, and as they approach, they too start to feel awkward, aggressive, and combative. Su Meanwhile, above, Sulu's chomping at the bit and wants to attack now, while Kirk says to hold back and wait till the other crews show up. Chekhov asks Kirk how the other crews can't see them as Kirk's hand opens to reveal a set of transponders that have been disabled. Chekhov smiles, and he says, Your own Kobayashi Maru? Kirk looks at Chekhov. I don't like to lose. The camera pans back further to reveal Janeway and her crew climbing the ridge behind Kirk and his guys. <laughs> How cool is this? All right, so scene four. Scene four opens with Archer and Tucker sharpening sticks on some rocks only yards away from the DS9 crew. Tucker is complaining that his phaser won't work in, in this godforsaken place, and it really ticks him off. Of course, everything does at that point. 
T'Pol tries to reason since the mind-altering spell doesn't seem to be affecting her the same way as the others, but Archer won't have anything to do with it. They will win at any cost because, as he puts it, in the future uh, it won't be altered because they are before everyone else in the timeline. Kirk's crew now sees Janeway's crew creeping up behind them on the scanner, so they lodge themselves between some rocks so that no one can see them. That is until they hear Picard's voice. He remembers that he has met this man before, but he can't place where. Trelane now has actually been able to do something to Data's programming to make him combative as well, um, apparently using his knowledge of machinery. Trelane speaks towards the ridge. Oh, Captain Kirk, come out, come out, wherever you are. We meet again, my worthy adversary, but this time I get to watch you fail. All of the teams seem to be converging on the DS9 location, and for what reason none of them really know at this point. They all just feel compelled to kill the other teams at any cost. Archer decides to make a move, and uses his spears um, that they have fashioned to attack Sisko and Kira, while O'Brien has a makeshift weapon himself that he fashioned from a rock, some vines, and a large branch. Quark tries to find a place to hide, trying to keep quiet, but it's not easy for him. As T'Pol is very reserved about it all, she is not as aggressive as Archer would like her to be, and he gets frustrated with her. Sisko is holding his own, but with a makeshift shield fashioned out of wood and bamboo-like branches, while Kira is facing off with T'Pol, bare hands and attitude. Tucker is fighting with O'Brien, and neither of them are making any headway. Trelane jumps up and down in a fit. Fight fair! Fight fair! Then all of a sudden, a huge voice says, Enough! There's a flash of light, and all of the crews find themselves standing now on a patterned floor in a large, dark arena. Weapons are on every side of them. In the middle is a hooded figure standing with fog covering his feet. The playing field is now level, says the voice. There's something familiar with the voice. Yes, Kirk has heard it before. So has Chekhov. Choose your weapons and choose well, my throngs. It's the head throng from the episode, the games of Triskelion. I can't even say it right. But anyway, uh, Trelane appears next to him and exclaims, Oh, goody, finally someone I can agree with. A large crack of thunder booms and the arena begins to move in a cog and wheel like fashion its floor sending the crews in different patterns closer to each other and then far away. They're all now feeling extremely aggressive. It's surging through them, and then the scene fades. Oh, my gosh. Talk about about lose my lunch as I'm reading away going, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. And, of course, feeling awful because I would have loved to have seen it. Scene five starts with the crew scrambling for weapons. Picard is still not completely convinced that he should be doing any of this, but out of self-preservation, he grabs a shield and a battle axe um, tripping from the moving floor. He's almost struck in the head as one of the floor panels sends Tucker close to him. Tucker has a real spear this time and lunges it at Picard, who quickly turns in time to deflect the spear with his axe, sending Tucker sprawling to the floor. T'Pol comes close as well as Tuvok 
And not surprisingly, instead of swinging with everything they have, they half-heartedly hit weapons together. Tuvok appeals to her Vulcan heritage by speaking in a low voice. We should not be fighting one another. It is not logical. T'Pol agrees as she swings her batleth towards Tuvok's middle section, or midsection. Picard overhears and asks Tuvok if there's any way that they can use their Vulcan mind techniques to free the rest of them from this aggression spell. Both of them agree to try and divert the aggressive emotions that are clouding the crew's minds. Kirk and Archer now are at each other's throats as Archer calls him an old man not worthy of a uniform. Kirk responds by doing the classic double karate chop to Archer's neck, only to be flipped by Harry Kim. An odd pairing, Kirk pushes Kim off of him in a fit of rage. In a burst of emotion, he pushes Harry backwards. Harry trips and falls on a sword-like weapon resting on a rack, and his eyes bug out. The blade runs through him as Harry falls limp. He's dead. A loud gong sound is heard. The only That's only riles things up even more, and the aggression rises. Janeway is now hacking away at Sulu, who is more than happy to deflect her non-skilled lunges and actually laughs as he uses his fencing sword to scratch Janeway's face. As the blood trickles down her face, she reaches up and touches it. Her face turns even more red, and she loses control. Paris sees what's happening, or what's going on, and, and trips Sulu from behind. As Sulu falls, Janeway lifts her weapon, a sharp Japanese ninja sword, above her head, and then the screen goes black as we hear Janeway let out a scream and we hear a crunch. The words to be continued come across the screen. And that's the end of episode number 99, um, season four. Wow. Is that just totally awesome? Very, very cool. Now, here's the sad part. We really won't know ever um, what happens in part two. There was no outline um, given. I I didn't have it. I didn't get it. Um, But we do have a brief description from Manny Cotto who talks about it. So why don't we, uh, we'll read his comments. He says, With the death of Harry Kim and the impending death of Sulu by Janeway, it was headed to a violent fervor. I really wanted the audience to get worked up seeing their beloved characters getting picked off one at a time. But that would fly for only a little while. Star Trek fans would have to suspend belief here, and I didn't want to press it any harder than I should. DC came up with the idea of Spock, Tuvok, and T'Pol all combining their efforts, like in the Next Generation episode, Sarek. The only problem was that Leonard didn't want to do the show, so we had to ask ourselves, can two Vulcans control all these minds? That's when Margaret came up with the idea that instead of trying to control the minds of all the crews, that the Vulcans should concentrate their efforts on Trelane and the head throng. Trelane, after all, was controlling the aggression factor. So that's where we headed. After a few more crew members were killed off, the game area would have been replaced again with more of an obstacle course. Here the skill sets of the different crew members would come into play. Uh, during this time is when Tuvok and T'Pol were to make their move on Trelane. Of course, it would have been successful. With Trelane out of the way, they could think more clear. They eventually would overcome the head throng, and Q would show up to applaud their effort to not kill and to try and work it all out. Maybe they were more advanced than I thought, Q would say something like that. 
As an added bonus, the crew members that were killed off would appear in a flash of light, and we would start all over again on Archer's ship with a cloaked figure coming up out of the shuttle. This time, the hood comes down, and it is Ambassador Tromper, not Q. Archer gets a strange sensation and looks over at Trip, who looks at him inquisitively. Man, I feel like I've been here before, Trip would have said. Me too, says Archer, and to Paul would have raised an eyebrow as she brushes some dry grass off her jacket. Uh, Manny goes on to say, I'm very sad we didn't get to do this. The fans would have loved it, but that's television for you. It would have been one hell of a ride. So there we get our, our comments from, from Manny on um, the, the double episode there. So what do you think? Is that just, wouldn't that have been an amazing episode? But you and I both know that uh, there was probably a ton of obstacles there. And well, of course, they didn't renew the stuff. So I think as far as what, what I think about it, I think that they probably, this was probably the last time they could have ever used John Delancey as Q, you know, because he was getting older and everything. And of course, Data as well. Brent Spiner already was older by then or older than he was. Um, I don't know how they would have done the effects on that to make him look younger. Or, but I guess, you know, Data can be however he wants to look. I don't know. Maybe they would have used him, you know, the with his skunk thing from that from all good things. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they would have how, how they would have done all that, but it would have been very, very interesting. I do have a listener comment um, on someone that is from the Trex and Sci-Fi uh, community that actually got to read part of this outline. So I'm going to play uh, his comments right now, and then I'll be back to talk about behind-the-scenes casting, uh, who did that, and which characters that they tried to get that they didn't weren't able to get. And uh, we'll read a little bit more about that. So stick around. Here's Chris's comments. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Chris, Chris L. on the forums. Um, Rick is talking about today, he's talking about the uh, the Lost Enterprise episode, which uh, I think is awesome. Cool thing that we never got to see, unfortunately. I uh, I heard about it through uh, Sebastian Pruth, and I heard about this outline that was going to be, that was around for the end of the fourth season. Um, Manny Cotto on board. It certainly... Uh, was gonna be, it was gonna be in tune with the uh, fourth season of kind of bringing back some of the old school stuff into Enterprise with some with the games versus Triskelion, but the greatest thing about it was uh, was bringing together like all of these guys from the uh, from the other shows. It certainly would have been, I think, a really really cool thing to see on screen. I couldn't, I can't even imagine what it would be like if that actually happened, but. I mean, we were all crying for Shatner to somehow show up on Enterprise. It would have been, I think, epic, completely amazing, unreal, really. If you if you look at if you think you look about what they wanted to do, they wanted to have Q, they wanted to have Triskelion. It was going to be a two-parter with, and and the crossover is what they wanted to, was what they ended up doing for the um, finale of Enterprise, which really. It was a poor finale. It was a poor crossover. You know, Riker and Troy never really got to interact with the Enterprise crew. It was a holodeck situation. This would have been certainly very cool. A cool scenario. I always love it when, when uh, you know, sort of you're forced to choose, but not really. They're going to fight against each other, so... It, it was gonna be it was gonna be awesome. I can't wait to hear what what, what Rick's uncovered about it. Um, 
So that's that. I, I, I hope you guys enjoy it. I, uh, I'm listening. So thank you, and I will, I'll be listening, Rick. Take it easy. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for your comments. Really, really appreciated. Always like uh, hearing what other people think about the cool universe of Star Trek. So let's talk a little bit about the behind-the-scenes stuff of this episode that would have been. There was quite a bit of work done on it um, prior to it being canceled and everything. Uh, But we do find that Julie Lowry Johnson, who was involved in all of the newer incarnations of Star Trek. She was the casting director for, for most of that. Um, she shares some tidbits with us. Not, I mean, she didn't mean to. She just had written some notes. It was the the last thing that she ever worked on for Rick Berman. So instead of being paired with Ron Surma, who was her usual partner in crime over the series and stuff, she was asked to try and get the famous actors with partner uh, Libyan Goldstein. And they shared some of their thoughts and some notes that uh, I found along with the outline that Sebastian gave me. And here is some of the things that I put together from those notes, because there was it's a lot of different just little thoughts here and there. But it did it did say which people they tried to get from which crews, and if they had trouble or not. Um, but basically, from what I could gather from the notes, they finally settled on using a few members of each crew. Um, to save on cost. They couldn't afford, obviously, to have all of the main characters from every single crew. It would have cost too much. And uh, there was also the whole issue of willingness with the actors. I guess Shatner is the one that held out for way too much money, and it was really ridiculous as Patrick Stewart was on board but hesitant. And apparently, Patrick finally talked with Shatner because he he just felt like, look, if I'm going to do this, you're going to do this kind of thing. And they're they're not. I mean, they're friends and everything, but they're not super close friends. But the nice part was um, they worked it all out and. Uh, Shatner went ahead and reduced the price that it was going to cost him, even though it was still, he was the most, uh, the biggest, he would have been the biggest paid actor on that particular episode because he's iconic, you know. Uh, but thanks to Patrick Stewart, uh, they were they uh, were able to actually get him to do it, or he was going to. Very interesting. There was a note that Chase Masterson kept calling. It was rumored that she was pushing for a part in it, and but there wasn't any part written for it because she was never really. I mean, she was a character on D- DS9, but she was never like a, a, you know what I mean? Well, anyway, I just thought that was funny because she's in everything, you know, and she's all, she's always at all these conventions and stuff. Very uh, resourceful lady, I can I can say that. Uh, but she didn't get into this because they didn't write her in. Um, Avery Brooks wasn't sure if he could fit it in his it in his schedule, even though I don't know what he does, but. Uh, he wasn't sure if he could do it. And then the really interesting thing was Kate Mulgrew had agreed, but she didn't want to wear the uniform in the traditional sense. Um, and there, of course, was ways around that. But she asked the big question, was Jerry Ryan, 7 of 9, going to be in it? And since negotiations were still going on, they really couldn't give her an answer. But as you heard in the in the synopsis, she wasn't in it. That The reason she wasn't in it is they wrote it out and... Uh, Kate Mulgrew said she didn't want to work with her again unless they paid her a whole lot more money. And either that or she just wasn't going to be in it. So Manny Cotto said if he didn't have all the captains, it really wouldn't have worked. So they wrote Seven of Nine out of the script 
and they got Kate to come on board. So here's they had that listed from uh, the different series uh, on their little sheet of paper here, and it said here were the people that were on board uh, instead of the whole cast. Here were the ones that from the different cast that were on board from the original series. They had Shatner, they had uh, George Takai, and they had Walter Koenig. <clears throat> Nimoy didn't feel that his role was as important as it should be, even though he would have been one of the Vulcans that, uh, you know, overcame the thing. He just didn't feel like the the thing worked for him, and that and it, it cost a lot of money. And so uh, he he refused to do the show, and so they of course didn't pursue it too hard, even though it would have been awesome to have Spock on there. But we got Tuvok, which is cool. So from TNG, um, it was um, Stewart. You got uh, Patrick Stewart, and you had Brent Spiner. You had Jonathan Frakes, and you had LeVar Burton, who were up for it. Uh, of course, because of budget reasons, they they really wanted to get uh, Counselor Troy, Marina Sirtis, and Michael Doran Wharf, of course, uh, to be in it too. But they again, they had to look at budget um, problems, and they were not able to afford them. So they had Stuart and Spiner, and then, of course, the other thing that was funny was Will Wheaton actually volunteered to make a cameo, uh, but they didn't write him into the script, so we didn't get to see Wesley. So that's kind of funny. That would have been really interesting to see Wesley older and stuff, too. That would have been different. Okay, from the DS9 crew, they were able to get Nana Vister, Visitor? I don't know how to say her last name. Uh, Cole Maney, of course, you know, uh, O'Brien. And it was a maybe on Brooks, but they wrote him in anyway because they were hoping that he would make time to do it. Plus, they got Armin Shimmerman, um, who, of course, is, you know, Quark. They did try to get the doctor, uh, but he had plans for shooting a movie, and it looked like the time that they were going to do the filming, he wasn't going to be available, so they didn't get the doctor. Um, from Voyager, uh, they had Kate Mulgrew on board on, under the condition that Jerry wasn't in it. Garrett Wang was, of course, on board, so we got to uh, see Harry Kim, or we would have, and then Tim Russ and Robert Duncan McNeil, and they tried to get Robert Beltran uh, that played uh, Chakotay, but he kind of had a snarky attitude about the whole thing, apparently, and uh, they had notes on there that he wouldn't return their calls, and finally, when they finally did talk to him, he just basically told them to take a hike, and I'm being nice. Uh, on what they had written. So that's very interesting that he didn't want to be part of it. Then from the Enterprise crew, of course, since it is an Enterprise episode, we got to see a lot of the different characters from that at the very beginning and the very end. Uh, but for the crew on the planet, that uh, or the, the game planet or whatever it was, uh, was Scott Bakula, uh, Jolene Blaylock, John Billingsley, and Connor Trinier. Of course, you didn't see the Doctor in it. And the reason you didn't see the Doctor in it, uh, in the, at least the outlines and stuff, is he was written out of it because in the story development, they had talked a lot about how there was going to be a lot of hand-to-hand combat. And they didn't feel that Flocks would be very good at that. He wouldn't look good at hand-to-hand combat. So even though he was at first in the script, they quickly removed him from it because they didn't feel that it would look right for the Doctor to be fighting. I thought that was really interesting. So uh, John Delancey, of course, was on board for Q, even though he was older now. And for the Trelane character, um, the original um, person that played that was William Campbell, um, the original Trelane. But he was obviously too old for the part. And you might remember that William Campbell also played Koloth, uh, the Klingon, in the original series. And they brought him back in the Deep Space Nine in 1994. 
with the makeup and everything, and he played in that too. But if you read any of the behind-the-scenes stuff, you know he was pretty feeble and he couldn't do a lot of the action shots. Um, but by this time, he would not have been able. He did. He he wouldn't looked right because Trelane, as we knew him in the series, uh, the old series or the original series, was uh, you know I, I say he was mid age in that. And so this is what they did. I thought this was fascinating. The casting department had a brilliant idea. They said, why not look into the family of of William to see if he had anybody that looked similar to him? And lo and behold, they did find someone. In 1963, he married his third wife, Teresa, and they had a son in 1965, making him around the right age. So he would have been uh, in his... 40s, I think, close to 40 years old, 39, 40 years old when they would have aired this. And he looks remarkably like his father did. And of course, with a bit of magic from Michael Westmore, they would have been able to turn him into a dead ringer for his father um, and, and the character of Trelane. Uh, so that I think that would have been so cool if we could have seen what he looked like. It would have been so awesome. And for the gamesters of Trixalian, uh, Trix, I always say it wrong, Triskalian, um, that was quite a chore, but they actually confirmed Joseph Ruskin, the original head throng. Um, he's a Trek veteran. He's been in lots of different Trek series. You can see him throw up, uh, throw up. <laughs> you can see him show up as uh, characters in several of the series. And he, even though he was older, he was willing to play the main thrall, uh, throng again. Um, he was in his 80s, uh, but his acting chops were still really on board. And so... They felt like if they gave him makeup, like because he looked old in the in the original one, you know, they made him look really different in it, uh, and it had all that makeup on him. They figured if they put effects on his voice, he sounded the same. He would have been back in rare form, and he didn't do much action. So standing there, intimidating and floating on his little contraption, would have been really really cool to see him again. But alas, we didn't get to see it. Um, the cast had almost been um, assembled. It would have been a really historic Star Trek episode with all the series coming together and really emphasized that fighting and aggression wasn't the answer. So that would have been something I'm telling you. But to what, a, what a huge amount of work to go into something that never happened. You know, I mean, I, I know some of these people are on salary and everything, but can you imagine trying to get all those different actors together and then getting them to agree on a price so it didn't cost, you know, so they could still have some cool effects and everything? And really, from the outline, they had some, I mean, they could have done, I think the, the outside scenes and stuff could have been done, uh, you know, on a location somewhere. But the, but the Trixalian, um, you know, moving floor would have been something. Of course, by that time, they were working with CGI and stuff. So, they, you know, who knows? They could have done a lot of green screen stuff. I don't know. Drinking a little water there. So th that would have been something to see, though, wouldn't it? I mean, a fanboy's dream, to, to a fangirl's dream to see all those folks come together. What a cool idea for an episode. I wish we would have seen it. One last note that I have in my stuff here is that after Enterprise was canceled... It was rumored uh, that Manny Cotto went and pitched this idea to J.J. Abrams when he found out that he was going to be working and, and doing script development and stuff. And Abrams actually listened to it. He actually sat down with him, and he, but he felt the scope of the show plus budget reasons uh, would put a real uh, kibosh on it. Not only that, but he felt 
that it that Star Trek needed a reboot. It needed something fresh and something new. And uh, his quote was, uh, you know, we're rebooting the franchise. It's time for some fresh faces with nods to the iconic heroes we've all come to love on the screen. And so he didn't obviously take that suggestion, and we got what we got. Uh, and I'm not complaining at all, but it still would have been a thing. Uh, maybe somebody will write a book out of this script. That would be awesome to, to get a book maybe and be able to read about this thing all the way fleshed in with all the notes from the writers and everything put together. So there you go, everybody. That's the lost episode of Enterprise. Or actually, now I can say last, lost episodes of Enterprise. I'm so glad that you joined me. I hope you really enjoyed the show. Rico is always a pleasure to sit in the guest spot. Always fun to uh, sit here and, and do this for you. Love the community at Trex and Sci-Fi. You guys and gals are the greatest. So nice to have friends like you. And if you haven't uh, joined us over there at uh, the forums, you need to do that. Join up. It's really easy to do. Just send an email to Rico and you can uh, get your name put on there and start chatting away with us and post pictures and listen to songs and talk about all sorts of cool stuff and watch movie trailers. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. You should be over there. So I hope everybody has a great rest of the day. Thanks again for everything. And I will see you next time uh, sometime down the road here on Treks in Sci-Fi. You've been listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with Rico Dosti and other special guests. We would love to hear from you. Write to us today at treksf at gmail.com. That's treksf at gmail.com. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise, Enterprise, Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations. Visit the website today at www.treksinsci-fi.com. Treks in Sci-Fi is a Rico Dosti production. Copyright 2012. All rights reserved. Treks in Sci-Fi. By the way, April Fool's. <laughs> There was no, there was no lost episode. <laughs> Thanks, by the way, Chris, for that cool title. That was great. Cue the death.
You can find more of my music on iTunes. Just search for Rick Moyer. That is if you'll ever talk to me again. <laughs>